0: All right, i would like to begin today with a little class participation, all right? A little little all-church survey that we're gonna do here. Everyone's gotta participate, okay? Everyone's gotta be be a team player here. Rochester Campus, Webster, Webster, I'm counting on you. You better participate wholeheartedly in this. If you're watching online or on TV, I expect you to participate as well. Just a simple survey. If you agree, hand up. If not, keep your hand down. And uh, the survey has to do with prayer. Okay. So question number one is how many of you would say that, that you feel like you probably pray too much hands, hands up (laughs) anybody, any, any, any takers here. Okay. I see no hands that, that are are in the air currently. Okay. Question number two is all right. How many of you would probably say, you know what? I could probably pray a little bit more than what I do right now. Like I, I could, I could make some improvements. Okay vast majority of hands, all right, there are a few people that didn't raise their hand, they're like, I'm not sure what's going on here, like what's happening? (laughs) Or maybe you have found the perfect amount to pray. That could be the option, like you have found that like sweet spot and a third category in our survey, no need to survey you, congratulations, that's great. But um, you know, it's interesting, right, this survey, and if we would've changed the questions, right, the answers probably would've looked a lot different, right? If the survey was about eating, right, our, our answers would've looked quite a bit different, or worry, or shopping, probably would have been a different display of hands. And today, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking at this next section in the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible, amazing sermon that Jesus has given. And he's gonna to talk to us today about prayer. And I truly believe that if we can embrace and understand what Jesus is gonna teach us today and the implications of what he's gonna teach us today, we might actually pray too much, if that were even possible. But I think a problem that we have with prayer is there's some misconceptions or there's some gaps or some experiences even with prayer that make us I guess not fully understand or grasp what the Bible and what Jesus has to teach us or to tell us today. And so that's my hope is that we'll have a greater understanding of what prayer truly means. So we're jumping right into it. Matthew seven, I would encourage you to grab your Bible, turn there, however you access God's word, I would encourage you to have that in front of you. If you're using one of our Bibles at one of our campuses, you can turn to page 788. Jesus continues in his sermon here and he says this in verse seven. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, meaning we're all sinners, we're all sinful, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to to those who ask him. So, here in these verses, we see this invitation of Jesus to his followers. And he's inviting us to something. He's inviting us actually to pursue God. And he's inviting us, though, to pursue God in a particular type of way. He's inviting us to pursue God as this good, generous father who desires to give good gifts to his children. And he's inviting us to pursue him through prayer. Now, and here's the amazing reality of the gospel. The the story of the gospel is that God first pursued us while we were still his enemy, while we were still sinners. He pursued us, and the beautiful implication of the gospel is, is that when we accept the gospel, we transfer our trust from ourselves to Christ and what he accomplished for us. We now enter into a relationship with God, and every relationship involves mutual pursuit. Every relationship involves mutual pursuit. I remember when Emily and I first were dating. In fact, we had just passed our one-year anniversary uh, of dating. This was like 18, 19 years ago. And uh, I'll I'll never forget, we had just passed our one-year anniversary, and we kind of hit this rocky spot in our relationship where we just weren't connecting um, or communicating with one another um, in the way in which we did when we first started. And so we were hitting some tension and we're having this conversation and a discussion. It was really a fight. Like we were like having a fight and like going back and forth. there's your fault or it's your fault if you would do this and going back and forth and I'll never forget. My wife just kind of stops and she just said, you need to pursue me. Now she may not have like bobbed her head like that, like that. <laughs> Emphasis is mine there on that one. But uh, she said, you need to pursue me and you don't pursue me the same way you did a year ago. And she was right, I needed to step up my game. I wasn't pursuing her in the way in which I should have been. You see, she understood every relationship involves mutual pursuit and Jesus here, he is inviting us as people who have been pursued by God and now in relationship with him through Christ that we are now to pursue God through prayer. Look at the language Jesus uses here in this text. The verbs that he uses, they are all pursue type of verbs. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus says we're to be asking, seeking, and knocking. This is engagement language. This is pursuit language. This is intentional language, words of action about how we're to be pursuing God, of asking, seeking, um, and knocking. But I think part of the problem, though, when it comes to prayer and with us and prayer, is that for many of us, kind of the lens in which we view and think about prayer is just simply a way to get what we want. It's just a way for me to get what what I want, which is part of the problem with us in prayer and we predominantly just view prayer as this way to get what we want from God. But what if God's purpose is different? Maybe God's view of prayer is different. Maybe it's a way by which God gets what he wants for us. After all, the last chapter, chapter six, um, Jason actually a couple weeks ago taught on the Lord's Prayer. And we learned that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was teaching us how to pray. How did he teach us how to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come, my will. No, no, that's not right, right? It's your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, Jesus taught us in that prayer that that through the Lord's Prayer, he was teaching us that prayer is a means by which God gets his stuff done. And part of the problem with us in prayer is that we view it as a means by which we get what we want from God. My kingdom come, my will be done. God, you do it for, for me. But prayer is not meant to be a particular means to our end. It's meant to be a means to which God achieves his purposes. And God's purposes in our lives are many. And they are, they are numerous And this is Jesus's big purpose in this passage, is that because of the cross, that we've been brought into relationship with God, his big awesome purpose is to bring us back to himself in daily dependence on him, a loving relationship, and that's what prayer is. Prayer brings us back to God through a daily dependent relationship with him. That's God's purpose. And so he's gonna use prayer to achieve his purpose of us being in daily dependence and in a loving relationship with him. And if you, if you think about it, that purpose of relational connection with God, that that's why prayer might actually exist. If, if you've ever done any basic Bible study on the attributes of God, you quickly begin to realize prayer doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right, just think about some of the big attributes of God. Think about the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, and the sovereignty, right? We'll just take those three, those are big words. Omniscience of God, it just means he's all-knowing. He knows all things all the time. So if he knows all things all the time, why do we need to pray? In fact, in chapter six, right before Jesus walked through the the Lord's Prayer, he even told us, your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Well, if my Father knows what I need before I even ask, why do I need to ask if he is all-knowing? Think about the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful. Well, if he's all-powerful, then why do I often feel as though I'm helping God along in and through my prayers? He's all-powerful. He's got this. If he's sovereign, which the Bible clearly teaches God is sovereign from beginning to end, he is sovereign. That's to say that God knows what he is going to do, and he's going to do what he wants to do, and you are never going to get God to do something that he doesn't want to do, so... If he's sovereign, why do we pray? So logically, even theologically, prayer sometimes doesn't seem to make much sense. But if you think about it relationally, prayer starts to make a whole lot more sense. Because prayer is more than just getting what we want or getting God to do what we think he ought to do. Prayer is this loving gift from our good Father by which we are invited to get to know and to experience him and to be formed by by him. And that's his purpose, that we would know him and experience him and be formed by his love. Prayer is meant to do that. And that's what Jesus, his invitation is to us here today. But I think there are some problems that we have with, with prayer that we got to talk about, that we have to be honest about. And here's why I think prayer is hard for most of us. I know this is why it's hard for me. And look, today's message is more for me than it is anybody else because there are, there are strides and growth that I need to take in my prayer life, in my relationship with God. So I'm, I'm preaching to me here today. And one of the reasons why I know for me prayer is hard is because I am so goal-oriented. Like, give me a goal. Give me a task list. Like, let, let's go. But God is process-oriented. We're goal-oriented. God is process-oriented. We're about the results. God's about the relationship. And so there can be a little bit of a disconnect that's there. Now, prayer does produce uh, or have goals. That is very, very true. It does produce results, but God is more concerned with the process, with that relational formation between us and him than we are about just simply the, the goals Right, He's sovereign, he knows beginning from the end He knows the goals, he knows the plans He's got all of that, that figured out He's interested with you and your heart And your experience of his love towards you And his goodness towards you And the forming of your heart around him And who he is right, So I, I am so radically goal oriented right, How do I just get there? And Jesus is just like Dude, Nate, chill out <laughs> for a second Man like, Dude, take a breath Slow down It's a process. There's a relationship that's here. And I think we can read this text and so easily we read it and think, okay, this is about me and getting what I want, right? Jesus said right here, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find and knock and the door will be open. This sounds like me getting what I want language, but it's meant to be an invitation to experience what he wants, what God wants, which is us experiencing and being known by him. He is the ultimate goal think with me for a moment about just some of the, the most popular verses in all of the Bible. Perhaps some of these you're familiar with. Some of the most popular, uh, Romans eight twenty eight God works all things for the good of those who love him. Right? We love that verse. That's great. Like God works all things, like all good things. Or Jeremiah 29, 11. I call this I call this the most tattooed verse in all of the Bible. And look, if you have this tattoo, that's no problem at all. It's an awesome, it's an amazing verse. You shouldn't feel bad about that at, at all. <laughs> but sometimes I think we miss the reality of actually what's going on in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. In fact, let's put it on the screen. Let's look at this together. God's speaking here. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future, right? We, we love this verse, right, because it's God saying, What's well, actually God saying to the nation of Israel when they were in exile to Babylon, but we extrapolate it to us today, and it's saying, look, God's, he's got good plans. It's all gravy. It's all good. It's, it's gonna be great. That's why it's a tattoo verse. But have we ever, have you ever read the next three verses, verse 12, 13, and 14, that talk about what our response ought to be in light of the good plans and things that God has for us? Look at verse 12. Then you will call on me, And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Wow. Man, when we read these verses, they tell us very clearly that God intends for us to know him, that he himself is the goal not just simply the good plans that I get all caught up in and I'm all interested in. He's saying, look, I'm sovereign, I'm fully in control. Nate, look, I got you covered there, bro. I know the future, I do have good plans for you, I got all that. Now look, dude, set that aside here for a second. And I want you to come and discover me. That's what sits behind this invitation of Jesus here, that God has for us this relational discovery and delight in him that we are to pursue. Through prayer, but there's this tension, right? I get we get caught up in the plans, and we can easily read a text like this in Matthew seven, or Romans eight twenty-eight, or Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, and we can miss it. So I think we got to ask ourselves: Is my goal the same as God's goal? Is your goal? Is it the same as God's goal? God's goal is clearly in this text. It's Him. It's Himself. It's The goal of the cross, that we be reconciled to God and be brought back to him. That's part of the reason why we come to church and sing songs, join in groups together and pray and read God's word so that our goals can be aligned with God's goal. And God's goal for us is him, to know him and his love. So is my goal lined up with him, is your are your goals lined up with him? Can we say things like Psalm seventy three twenty five says this: Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth's got nothing. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Can, can we say that? And I think for a lot of us, there's a struggle around this because, like, I, I know this. I know it theologically. Maybe you're familiar with these verses. We know the concept. He's meant to be our greatest treasure. The reality is I got a lot of competing treasures. And I I know oftentimes in my prayer spaces, what I'm asking about, what I'm knocking about, what I'm seeking about are oftentimes those competing treasures. And there's nothing wrong with those treasures. There are things and requests and things we want to pursue and ask God about, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is getting in the way of the primary treasure, then man, we gotta, we gotta understand that. We gotta recognize that because there is a primary treasure who is God himself that we are to be most concerned with. Another Psalm, Psalm 37, four, says this, says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now again, right, if we miss this passage or misunderstand the concept here, right, thats about my kingdom, you know, my will be done, and God, come on, meet my needs, all good. He knows the plans that he has for me. We're gonna see and we're gonna miss this verse. We're gonna read it incorrectly. Again, we'll just view God as like a genie in the bottle. It's a means by which we can get whatever we want, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? Whatever you want. I don't think that that's what this verse means, though. I think it means if we learn to delight ourselves in the Lord, and who he is and his love and what he has done for us, what will happen is he will begin to place new desires, deeper desires for him to know him and be known by him. And this is Jesus' invitation to us here today. This process of asking, seeking, and knocking is this process by which we actually become surprised to the desires of our heart. You know the amazing thing about prayer is that there's no bad prayers, there's no wrong prayers, there's no dumb prayers. If you are praying, God is working. Now, you might not be praying for the right things, but that's okay. God, if you're praying, you're talking to him. He's working. He's shaping your affections. He's realigning your priorities. He's reforming your feelings. He's readjusting. He's recalibrating those passions around him. So there's no bad prayers. Go to God. If you're praying, God is working. I love the second part of verse 11 in Matthew 7. Where Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's the amazing part of, of the journey of following Jesus is that we get to reimagine what good gifts are. In the beginning, it's, we have our own ideas and, about what the good gifts are, what they should be, or how God ought, ought to supply our needs, but as we begin to discover the joy of knowing Christ, and knowing him, there's this transformation that begins to take place in our lives, that our evaluation and our assessment of what is good changes as we get to know Christ. I find so many times in my own life that what I consider to be a good thing is not what God had in mind as a good thing for me. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I remember right out of college, I had just graduated from, from Bible college, and my wife Emily and I, we were engaged at the time, looking and hoping to get married, and Coming out of Bible college, I didn't have have a ton of money, and uh, I knew, and I also wasn't sure exactly, I knew I wanted to do ministry, but I wasn't sure exactly what path that was. So I was like, we want to get married. I'd love to pay down some debt. If I can just get a good, stable job, and uh, with benefits, we'll be set. M and I will be good to go for the next several years, and then we can kind of figure things out from there. And so I remember when I graduated, Enterprise Rent-A-Car was hiring college students, college graduates. And I was like, man, this is sweet. And their base salary was not bad. It was decent. And it also had benefits. I was like, this is perfect. We could do this for a couple of years till we figure things out. And then, you know, on, on with the rest of our life. So, had interview number one, went great. Interview number two, went great. Interview number three, went great. Three days later, got a letter in the mail where they said no. Right, and it, it's humiliating anytime you get turned down for a job, but like when you get turned down for a rental car company, like it's really humiliating. Like, and look, no offense, if anyone works at Enterprise, man, kudos you. I couldn't even get that job, so you got it. So, I'm serious. It's okay. I'm not not saying anything bad about Enterprise. But that honestly, that was really hard because I had in my mind like the next couple of years set and this was the plan and we were gonna run the plan and it was gonna be great, but God said no. And there's some tension with this, right? Because how many of you have asked or prayed for something and the answer was no? All of us to one degree or another probably have experienced this. We've, we've prayed and we've asked God, maybe even in light of these verses here in Matthew 7, and God responds with no, or not yet, or it hasn't even been answered yet. And I think this is part of our experience with prayer. We gotta talk about, we need to be honest about. It's one of the reasons we doubt prayer, Prayer or don't pray at all. One of the reasons we have problems with prayer is because sometimes the answer is just no. And no answers create doubt. They create a gap. And it can create this gap between us and God, deep feelings of relational distance. Here's another psalm, Psalm 102. Listen to the language of this psalmist as he's pouring out his heart and emotions to God. Verse one, he says, hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Don't hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. Do you feel the pain there? Do you feel the emotion, the, distr- the distress of like, I- I'm in a rough spot, God, where, where are you? Look at you some of the direct language he uses, like turn your ear to me, answer me quickly. In other words, Lord, you're not doing anything, it's been too long without a response. I'm in this deep place, this deep distress and you feel absent, are you even hearing me? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you even find yourself in that season right now where life is bearing in. There's some struggles and trials right now, and you're pouring your heart out to God, but it's like, God, where are you? Man, I know that there are a number of families in our church that can relate to this in a very deep way where their biggest, most desperate prayers were unanswered or answered with no. No. And they prayed and they prayed and their family prayed and their community group, everyone was praying and they had friends around the country praying for them and they were desperate prayers. And those prayers were answered with no. And man, those experiences with prayer can create very real disappointment in our lives. They can create deep disillusionment, even anger that affects the way that we go to God. It affects the way that we read and understand a passage of scripture like this. I've sat with families in our church that have experienced tremendous loss, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent or a loved one way too early in life. And look, there's nothing that you can say to them to make them feel any better in that moment. There's no verse that in the moment's gonna be like, okay, everything is now fine. And it's in times like that when we experience what feels like ultimate loss, ultimate ripoff, ultimate failure, ultimate no, it can be hard to go to God in those spaces. It's interesting, the progression of verbs that Jesus uses here in Matthew seven, and this isn't just me thinking out loud and making observations. I don't know if this, this is true or not, but maybe this is why Jesus moves from asking to seeking to knocking. Like There's gonna be times in life where we're asking God for things. Then there's times like, okay, there's gonna be a little bit more energy in, in, in this, and I'm gonna be seeking, I'm gonna be pursuing here a little bit more, Then there's gonna be times, no, I am knocking. I'm pounding on the doors of heaven saying, please, God, I think Jesus gives us permission to be in any of those postures of prayer. And that's okay, and there's a tension there. I get it because it's like, man, is it okay for me to truly express what I'm feeling and what I'm going through right now to God? Or maybe you don't even have the language to express the hurt, the pain, the deep loss, the deep disappointment, trust broken wounds. But yeah, sometimes that, that's the real posture of prayer, especially in those unanswered moments or in those no moments. And I think it's in those deep places of disappointment and doubt. We got to lean in. We got to identify what is it that, that we're doubting. And I think for many of us, what we are doubting in those moments is the goodness of God. We're doubting his goodness, right? The passage said he's a good, generous father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Well, this doesn't feel like a good gift right now, God. Like, what the deal? This feels like a rock. This feels like a snake. And yet you say you're supposed to give good gifts. This doesn't, this doesn't feel good right now. And I, I think it's important for us to be honest in these moments to lean in and identify what is it that we are doubting so that God can meet us there, that his spirit can meet you there and begin to heal us in that area. I think it's also important that we understand that we are not the only ones to have no answers to our prayers. Think about the greatest no answer to any prayer in the history of the world. Who was it? It was Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of the cross when the reality of what was ahead of him was coming down heavy on him. Realizing he was going to be betrayed by the people closest to him. Just the the physicalness of the the cross, of what he was going to have to endure. He'd be mocked, beaten, spit upon, nailed to a cross, shamed, there hanging naked, suffering, bleeding to death. But not only that, also the reality of understanding that God was going to place on him all the sins of all humanity. The spiritual weight of the sins of the world coming on him as his dad turned his face away from him. And as he faced the reality of that, we actually know Jesus prayed three times. He prayed three times to his father, to the father of like, can we run another play? Is there another option? Mark 14, 36, look at what he says. He says, Abba, Father. That word Abba is significant. It's like deep personal intimacy. In fact, still today, Jewish children will use that word to talk to their dad, to speak to their dad in Jewish cultures today. So this is deep, this is Jesus saying, Dad, you can do anything. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Is there another way to save them? Some some other way. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. This was Jesus' desperate prayer in the garden, facing the reality of what was ahead of him, saying, God, is there any other way We're told that this prayer was so desperate that Jesus sweat great drops of blood. He was so distressed that the pores of his skin were losing blood. And his father said to him, no. And Jesus was able to say in that Gethsemane moment, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I believe the only reason Jesus was able to say that and to survive that moment is because he was fully and utterly convinced in the goodness of his father. And he knew his father intimately, right? If you look at the life of Jesus, what would we see? Even in the busyness of life, ministering to the multitudes and to the crowds and to his own friends and family and disciples, he would regularly step away from that. And what would he do? He would go into the mountains and he would pray. Jesus, who was God himself, 100% God, 100% man, we see him prioritize relationship with the Father. He prayed and used prayer as a connection to the Father. He knew that his Father was good and he had this intimacy with the Father that was cultivated through prayer so that in his Gethsemane moment, and look, we're all gonna have Gethsemane moments, he was able to say, I trust you, Dad. Why? Because he knew that his father was good. And I think we can take and find so much comfort in that as we look at our own lives, as you look at your own Gethsemane moments that you might be in right now that we can can say in the hardest places, the deepest places, the deepest disappointments, we can say in faith, because Jesus believed that his father was good, I can believe that my father is good. His plans are good. And look, that is no trite, theological preacher thing. That is deep, hard-fought-for faith in our Heavenly Father. Jesus calls us to have and to develop this kind of faith, this kind of relationship with our Father that's cultivated through this posture of continually asking, seeking, and knocking, of going to God, even when it's hard, even when it's not easy, a faith that is developed through prayer. So how how have you been viewing prayer? Have you been viewing it differently, perhaps? Have you been viewing it only as just a means to get what you want? Or have you been viewing it as a way for God to get what he wants for you, for your life? And what he wants for you and for me is him. He is our greatest treasure and he wants us to treasure him above everything else. So ask, seek, knock, these are words of availability. Jesus is here he's waiting and wanting for us to turn to him and to know him through prayer and there's always more of him to know we can never fully exhaust this this avenue or this prayer channel There's always more of him to know. And so instead of us just rarely going to God in prayer, my hope and desire for myself and for all of us is we would regularly go to God, run to God in prayer, whether it's in the morning in your time with the Lord or at night in your time with the Lord or throughout your day before the meeting, in the middle of the meeting or after the meeting, you're in connection with God through prayer. He cares about every detail of your life. He does truly have good gifts in store for you and he wants us to know him more deeply, to treasure him beyond anything else and to pursue him as a loving, good, generous father to pursue him through prayer. So as we, as we conclude today, I, I thought what better time to directly apply this message than to give us a moment now. Just you and the Lord. Everyone just bow your head, close your eyes. Just you and your heavenly father, ask, seek, knock, pursue him. He is there waiting and wanting you to know you and you to be formed by him. So take a moment, spend some time with with God, and then our host is going to come out and wrap up our time together.